Hello and welcome to SearchCast, a podcast hosted by Isaacson Miller. My name is Rhett Sosby and I'm the recruiting manager here at the firm and a producer of this podcast along with Devin Benjamin, our podcast content manager. Today's episode is being brought to you by Isaacson Miller's Latin ERG, Impacto, in recognition of Latin Heritage Month. Impacto exists to cultivate a space within the broader IM community to promote and celebrate the multidimensional and multicultural diversity and professional development of its members and other BIPOC members of the firm. With that, I'm pleased to introduce today's hosts, Jeanette Martinez and Julia Denilevich. Jeanette Martinez is a senior associate and member of Impacto who joined Isaacson Miller in 2021. She works primarily with education-focused organizations, including national nonprofits and foundations, and with various institutions of higher education. Jeanette was the lead associate on the firm's search for the CEO of Democrats for Education Reform. Prior to joining the firm, Jeanette was a policy analyst at Excellencia in Education, a nonprofit focused on accelerating Latin student success in higher education. Before that, she was a policy analyst at Education Reform Now, focusing on K-12 and higher education policy. A first-generation college graduate and proud daughter of immigrants, Jeanette began her professional career as a middle school teacher in Houston, Texas. Julia Denilevich is a senior research specialist and member of Impacto at Isaacson Miller, and she's been with the firm since 2021. Prior to joining the firm, Julia worked as a peace educator for the Global Campaign for Peace Education and the International Institute for Peace Education. More recently, she served as an Accelerate Fellow with Teach for America. Julia served as a research specialist during the search at Democrats for Education Reform. In honor of Latin Heritage Month, our guest today is Jorge Alorza, CEO of Democrats for Education Reform, or DFER, and its affiliate nonpartisan think tank Education Reform Now, co-founder of the Latino Policy Institute at Roger Williams University School of Law, and the proud son of Guatemalan immigrants. DFER works to elect and support democratic leaders who are committed to a vision for a public education system that empowers all of its students, particularly students of color, students from low-income backgrounds, and other historically underserved students to reach their limitless potential. Prior to joining DFER, Jorge served two terms as mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, where he undertook bold actions to advance a social and racial justice agenda. This included taking the unprecedented step to engage the State Department of Education to turn around the city's chronically underperforming school system, creating the city's Eat, Play, Learn initiative to expand out-of-school enrichment, and launching a nationally recognized African-American ambassador group to bring Black leaders into the center of policymaking. Notably, he invested $400 million into repairing school buildings and supported the expansion of high-quality public charter schools. We're thrilled to have you, Jorge, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jeanette. Thanks, Rhett, and thank you so much for being here with us today, Jorge. Um, Would love to start with this first question. As we can see from Rhett's uh, opening, it seems that your career has always kept you in the education, equity, um, and access space. So where did your passion for these ideas stem from? Well, let me start off by saying that it's great to be here, and thank you for having me. Uh, to answer your question, you know, to be honest with you, as you know, as far back as I can think and remember, I've always been a bit of an educator. Um, so, you know, I was that older cousin that taught all his younger cousins to to tie their shoes. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, I would, you know, I would help them with their math problems. You know, I would always like that kind of work. Um, you know, uh, I never thought of being a teacher, um, until, until later in life when I worked for an education program, you know, after, uh, after college. And I realized that, uh, while I enjoyed that work and I loved being around kids, it just wasn't the right career fit for me. So I ended up going to law school. And after practicing for a couple of years, I ended up as a, as a law professor, so, so teaching. Um, and I loved that work, and I did it for 10 years. Uh, but I'll tell you that when, um, um, you know, when, uh, when different opportunities started coming my way, you know, I did long for um, an opportunity to um, you know, move away from academia and you know, jump both feet into the real work of of doing things and you know moving projects forward and getting things done and so that's what led me to leave my job as a as a law professor and to jump into the mayor's race and there are a lot of things that i cared about when i um, ran for mayor but more than anything i ran because i wanted to be the education mayor i wanted to transform our schools and give kids today opportunities that frankly i didn't always have and that many kids are denied uh, denied of uh, on a regular basis. So education's always been a really deep passion of mine, and uh, I've um, you know, really enjoyed diving in and being a value add to this work. So continuing along that thread, um, you know, what motivated you to pursue a career in public service, and most recently drew you to defer? Well, you know, if I can um, just take take a couple of steps back. Just share with you a little bit more of my my own story and my and my journey. Uh, what um, uh, what led me to public service is frankly my mother as a role model. So my parents are both immigrants. Uh, it's the classic immigrant story. They crossed the border, lived here as undocumented immigrants for uh, for 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 a while. And uh, uh, you know, my mother was was has always been my my idol. I remember. I remember as a as, as a as a child watching her work second shift, going into work every afternoon, uh, coming home really really late at night. Somehow being up the next morning, getting us ready to school, sending us off, and uh, uh, doing whatever she needed to do. You know, I still remember, particularly during weekends when most people would be resting. Um, you know, you know Saturdays we'd be at the flea market. My mother would buy blankets and curtains. And then we would drive around the neighborhood selling them. Uh, Sundays, we'd drive around and, you know, we'd be looking for empty bottles and empty cans, you know, for the deposit money. You know, this this example, right, this model of having someone uh, willing to do whatever it takes so that her kids have a better life. Uh, that's always something that has been that's something that has been deeply imprinted on me uh, because of uh, because of my mother. And uh, I know that she's driven very much by a deep sense of responsibility um, and and service. And uh, even even though you know I, I studied, um, I was a business major in um, in college and worked um, in accounting and consultant afterwards. You know, I didn't last too long in those fields because I had that spirit of service and wanted to give back. That's what led me to go to law school. Eventually, opened up opportunities to teach law and then to become a judge and eventually to drop all of that to uh, to run for office but it's really because 
you know, I, I, I've wanted to make my community a better place. I feel, I feel as though, you know, I'm here simply because I've gotten so fortunate at various stages in my life. And because other people have believed in me more than I believed in myself at those moments, that's the reason why I'm here. And I want to make sure that, you know, more kids have the you know, opportunities that I have um, and not rely on them getting lucky. Uh, success for them should be a matter of course and not a matter of just getting lucky or beating every odd. So that's what's driven me to public service. And I made a commitment that I will be public service oriented uh, for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, it's just work that I've committed my life to. I'm just like, I'm getting chills hearing that because similarly, my parents being first, first across the border um, and that same sacrifice and that um, commitment to public service. So didn't want to let that go um, unacknowledged. And I appreciate that um, you sharing that. Um, I will go ahead and pass it over to Julia for the next question. Hi, Jorge. Um, I also likewise wanted to say that I definitely share in similar story as you and Jeanette with um, my mom um, coming across the border when she was about eight years old with her family of nine and 10 and, you know, having a very similar story of um, struggle. And really, um, I just feel very um, similarly that my story and my story of my success and is really the story of the people in it and the opportunities that um, those people were able to give me. And um, it really seems like your story and where you um, are now in your career is um, really a, a, a testament to all the people and um, within it at the right moments. So I just wanted yeah. to share that before we get to the next question. Um, well, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that. So yeah, if I can if I can just say so, I was born here in the United States. I was born a year after my uh, my parents came over, and so. I'm a I'm 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 a I'm a natural born citizen of the United States, but I was raised in an immigrant household, raised in an immigrant community. So, you know, if there's one community that I feel sort of like most sort of culturally tied to, you know, I I, I identify with the with the immigrant community. And, uh, you know, when I think about, you know, we all go through tough times in life, right? No one no one has it easy. Um, but when I sit back and reflect, reflect on you know the almost unimaginable challenges that um, that our parents experienced and uh, um, you know their attitude and approach to life that whatever it took and whatever came their way they were going to find a way to overcome it you know that's something that keeps me motivated and keeps me keeps my spirits up even in some of the most difficult, challenging times. And so, you know, there's just, there's just something really um, deep about that immigrant spirit and that connection to, to our immigrant families is um, uh, very much what I believe has allowed me to, you know, be where I am today. Thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, it's very inspiring. Um, and you, you kind of already touched on this in, a, in your previous answers, um, but I'll try to, um, if you could elaborate a bit more. Um, as a fellow Latina, first-generation college student, I'm curious to know the impact of your educational journey and family background on your leadership style and the way you approach your role and um, your role today. Well, I'll tell you, I've spoken a lot about my mother. Um, I also want to uh, talk a little bit about my dad as well. 
So my dad is, you know, a very influential figure in my life. Both of my parents, my mother has a fifth grade education. My father has a seventh grade education. So they're not, quote unquote, formally educated. But, you know, I've always considered my dad to be a very, very wise man. He's given me great counsel and advice through life. Um, and uh, um, he has a certain humility about him and that um, and that I've always respected and that I have um, you know, done my best to engender. And so, you know, when I think about my approach to, frankly, all the work that I do, I always come at it from a place of humility. So I, I'm very curious. I am very inquisitive. Um, and, uh, um, you know, rather than um, think about all the books I've read and all the knowledge I've acquired, my mind is always on um, all the things I don't know and everything that I have to learn. And I'm the exact same way when it comes to, to the work that I do. Um, you know, I, for the past eight years, I served as the mayor of Providence. And I'll tell you, it was just a privilege of a lifetime. You know, people always ask me, you know, what I think about when I, you know, reflect back on my time. The truth is that I really don't reflect back on my time at all. I'm, I'm really busy at this new job that I really enjoy and love. Um, and uh, yes, I do look back sometimes and feel really proud of the things that I did. Um, um, but honestly, when I think back about uh, my time in office, what I focus on more than anything is like all the things that I didn't do. And all the things that, you know, I still have left to do to fulfill my pledge to myself uh, that uh, I'd commit my life to public service and do whatever I could to make uh, make the world a better place. Even sitting here this moment, you know, and, you know, one day I'll be really, really old looking back on my life. And I'll tell you that I refuse to look back on my time as mayor as the highlight of, of you know, my, my life and the highlight of my uh, professional contributions to the world around me. Um, it's just an approach that I have to the way that I think and the way that I act. And uh, I always believe that each one of us, we should live on the edge of our imagination and that our reach should always extend beyond our grasp. So if you want to know me in a nutshell, uh, first, it's understanding the role my mother has had, the role my father has had, and second, knowing that I am always, always reaching for more um, in terms of my development as a person, but also in the way that I can contribute to the world around me. Thank you, Jorge. That was, um, yeah, that was tremendous. And um, I definitely um, feel similarly about um, kind of what you said about um, humility and uh, just my, I think my grandfather, so he, um, he didn't have, I think, beyond maybe a second, third grade education, maybe in Mexico. And uh, when he came here to, to the States to provide for his family of nine, um, and he was, he was a laborer his whole, whole life, that's what he did. And despite that, he never complained. And, you know, there was so much I learned from him just about life, about um, how you treat people, about the world and hard work and about family. 
And um, I completely agree with you. I think the deepest lessons that we learn from people um, oftentimes can be from from our family. And um, it's just it's very inspiring to hear um, from you as well. But um, anyways, now I will turn it to Jeanette for the next question for you. Yeah, you know, and I just want to stress that, you know, you know, uh, family continues to, to hold you accountable. So if I ever get too big for my britches, um, oh, I'll hear about it. <laughs> I may not even be welcome in the house. Uh, it doesn't matter what professional accomplishments um, I might have or you might attain. Um, if you lose that humility, um, you know, my family will hold me accountable as they as they should. And so, you know, their influence keeps keeps giving. So one thing I'm like, honestly, feeling a little emotional right now, because so often in this work and just in general, I don't hear stories of people who have a similar background as I do. Similarly, my parents have fifth and seventh grade educations as well. Right? actually, honestly, dad, fifth grade, mom, seventh grade. <laughs> so I'm always in this work thinking about how do we bring more people with stories like ours into, into the space and into the leadership, um, into leadership roles. So do you have any advice for the next generation, particularly those in the um, Latine community who are hoping to follow in your footsteps and pursue work in public service? And how can we as recruiters help ensure future leadership is prepared? Hmm. Okay, so a couple of ideas come to come to mind. The first thing that I'll say is, um, not advice for young people uh, necessarily, but just advice for folks in the hiring uh, at the hiring level in their in their careers. You know, something that I have done that has frankly has served me very very well is, you know, when I'm reviewing resumes and I'm when I'm going through interview process, I got to tell you that I am not one. You know, I'm not big on fancy credentials. I think that fancy cred credentials could be um, uh, a, um, a, a proxy for other really important information. But fancy credentials in and of themselves, you know, don't speak, you know, don't, don't, don't speak to me. They don't resonate with me that deeply. What I look for when I'm hiring folks is I look for, I, you know, I look for, you know, grit and people who, uh, uh, show me that they're going to overcome whatever challenge comes their way, right? Just um, uh, put players in a position to make plays. Um, and so folks who have that grit, I will, I will trust them. You know, I look for natural smart, sort of common sense smart. I look for people who are mission driven. Uh, that's really, really important. You know, folks that are doing the work just for a paycheck, you know, that, that, that motivates a lot of folks and, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I'm looking for the folks that like are true blue believers. Um, and, um, you know, and, and I have good experience, uh, with, uh, with, you know, what those folks, um, have, um, I've seen them produce. And then the last piece that I look for is I look for people who are good teammates. Um, you know, no jerks allowed kind of thing. I look for people who, um, um, you know, just are always looking to take the initiative to be helpful. Um, so in the hiring community, you know, I think we would do, all, do, do ourselves all a favor if we move away from the fancy credentials and um, you know, go deeper into you know, how, we, how we bring folks in. You know, to, to young people uh, going through this, you know, just a couple thoughts come to mind. 
you know, I think there's a lot to be said by, you know, our, our identities. And I'm someone who, you know, when I was in college, when I was in law school, as a professional, you know, I, I'm always joining the affinity groups because, you know, those are my people and you just feel comfortable and uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a natural thing. It's like our tribe. We all kind of tend in that direction. And, uh, and, and I think that that is all, that, that that's all good. Always, always um, look for, um, look for, look for the spaces where, where you feel comfortable. Um, at the same time, I will also say that, you know, for you, uh, I think so many young people are on this quest to um, either discover themselves, discover who they are, um, and, uh, and authentically represent and be that person. And, and that's great. What I will also say is just as much as I believe as we um, discover who we are, I also believe that we create who we are. And I would um, counsel young people to always uh, think beyond what's in front of us. Um, you know, who you are today is going to be very different. It's very different from who you're going to be five years from now. You have a lot of growth to come and you can take that growth in any direction that you wish. There are truly limitless possibilities. And um, I hope that makes you really excited. And so to young people, uh, I, um, you know, I tell them that um, don't simply rest on who you are, but actively seek out and reach that person that you want to become and go out and create that person. So that, that's one. The second thing that comes to mind and the last thing on this is, you know, I think that so many of us, you know, struggle with uh, issues of confidence. You know, uh, we oftentimes call it like imposter syndrome. And, uh, you know, I've had this my entire life. So many of us have, you know, so many of us have it. Uh, anytime we undertake a new challenge, something that's a stretch for us, you know, before you jump in, you know, you, you know, you get those jitters, you get nervous. Can I hack it? I know I've been successful in the past, but this is different. We tell ourselves, can I really get it done at this, at this capacity and at this level? And I'll just share the journey that I've been through with that. Um, you know, I love the concept of yin and yang and, uh, you know, yin and yang. Many people think that the yin and yang are opposites. They're not opposites. In fact, they're complements, meaning that you cannot have one without the other. You can't have light without darkness, etc. And I feel the same way about so much uh, success that I've had professionally. I have been as successful as I've been professionally because I don't come into new opportunities feeling overconfident. In fact, Feeling that sense of, can I hack it? Can I get it done this time? You know, fills me with uh, a, a, an urgency that I have to, you know, outwork others, that I have to you know, grow as a human being. I have to reach another level. And frankly, it's that mindset that has made me successful. And so rather than feeling as though at some point in my life, I have to overcome these self-doubts that I have about whether I can hack it. Um, I've come in my life to embrace the fact that uh, those doubts uh, that, uh, that, that I have, sometimes when your confidence isn't like fully, fully uh, robust, that's a healthy thing. And ultimately, it's going to be the source of your, of your success. So I would encourage young people 
to um, uh, turn those doubts into a source of success. Uh, don't try to overcome it, but use it to your advantage. Wow. Thank you so much. And that's all incredible advice. And I think advice that you know, no matter our age, um, the reframing of imposter syndrome as really an asset that we can bring into our work is, is just really powerful. And I know that's something that um, you know myself and other Latinos, um, Latinas in the firm and beyond, we're constantly questioning that, like, is this a space for us? Should we be here? Rather than um, taking it taking it through the frame that you take you've taken it, and so just really appreciate that that feedback and that advice, and something that I know that we will gladly share, um, just as a strength. So, what are you most excited about in the work you're doing today, and what are some goals for the year ahead in your role? So, <laughs> there's no shortage of of things that I'm excited about in this organization. So, as you mentioned at the top, I run Democrats for Education Reform, known as DFER, and uh, our affiliate organizations. And uh, um, what we do is we operate at the intersection of policy and politics when it comes to when it comes to education. And uh, you know, frankly, there's no doubt that there is a crisis in public education at the moment. Uh, for example, I mention this all of the time that here in Providence, Providence said, you know, where, where I'm physically based and, you know, that I know best, um, last year, only 2.4% of seniors who took the SAT were at grade level in math. So let that sink in for a little bit. 2.4% of seniors uh, who took the SAT, this is, this is at traditional high schools here in the city. Um, you know, that's outrageous. That's outrageous that that's the case. And uh, not only is it outrageous that that is happening, but it's outrageous that there is not, you know, this sort of five alarm fire urgency that we're mustering to do something about it, right? It's happening right in front of us. And, you know, we should be marching. Um, and, uh, you know, frankly, it's not just here in Providence. It's throughout the United States. There are similar reports coming out of Baltimore, coming out of Chicago, almost every major urban district throughout the country. It's happening. And so what I'm excited about is uh, continuing to uh, elevate uh, education in terms of um, the national com conversation in politics, reminding folks that you know education kind of matters and uh, uh, that you know, we have to muster an all-out Five alarm fire urgency effort uh, towards towards this cause, and uh, uh, I'm excited about all the tools that we have at our disposal here at here at Defer. So thanks to you know my predecessor in this office who left behind a really really solid foundation. You know we're building off of that and uh, looking to frankly supercharge that foundation that's been that's been left for us. So whether it's uh, playing in the thought leadership space or advancing what uh, I hope will be a framework for a national education agenda to frankly, just doing the politics better, making sure that we're in all the rooms where elected officials are gathering, that we're building relationships, that we're identifying the people who want to lead on education. And then we, then we bring to bear all of the tools in our toolbox to support those elected officials so they can be successful as they're, as they're advocating for kids. Um, and uh, I'll tell you that 
there is no shortage of opportunity in this um, in this role. And uh, you know, part of what just gets me so jazzed up about coming to work and coming to the office and doing this work every every day is, you know, I just spent the past eight years of my life in a very high profile role here in here in, here in Providence, running the city. But when I think about this job, this is a much bigger job and a much bigger challenge. You know, our job here at Defer is to uh, play our role in fundamentally transforming public education in the United States. So, um, you know, for someone who's mission driven and committed to public service, I can't think of anything more exciting uh, and important that I can be doing right now. So I'm just uh, thrilled to be at this organization and excited about all the work that comes that lies ahead. Thank you for your answer. Um, it, it, I mean, the work ahead for all of us here is tremendous. And um, I, throughout this conversation, I have just been so inspired and motivated in the work that you do, the work that we do here at Isaacson Miller. And um, there's there's much ahead to to work towards. And I'm just so appreciative of um, of you being here today and answering all of our questions. Um, thank you, Jorge, for everything. And I will turn it to Rhett to wrap us up. Yeah, I'll just say thank you for thank you for thinking of me and for having me. Um, I've um, really appreciated the conversation. And like I said, if I can help in any way, I'm here. Thank you, Jorge. We really appreciate that. And um, thank you all for, for that conversation. And um, we appreciate our listeners tuning in as well. We would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can catch up on our old episodes, as well as be the first to hear new ones. And we'd also invite you to visit imsearch.com for more information or follow Isaac Miller on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Isaac Miller. Isaacson Miller's podcast content provides general information only and does not constitute recruiting guidance or advice. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of this content. All liability from the use or misuse of Isaacson Miller's content is hereby expressly disclaimed. The content contained in our podcasts should be used only at your own risk.